0: Star Atlas Spaceship, worth $5 million, it was for sale at $5 million, and it sold for $5 because of a bug. <music> Hello friends and welcome to episode 15 of the Tavern Shark Tank of the Metaverse where Web3 Gaming projects pitch to get leaders and VCs to get funding. But not only. Today we're doing something uh, slightly different. We're changing the format a little bit. We want to also discuss more Web3 Gaming news, bringing you some alpha and, you know, what top builders in the space are, are thinking about news, what's happening, etc. So, uh, by the way, if, if you like what we're doing, if you like also this new format, feel free to like, comment, subscribe. It's really much appreciated. So it's been a while You didn't ask uh, people to introduce themselves and maybe give us a uh, little bit of uh, updates on what they're doing. Uh, so maybe we can start with that.
1: Uh, I'm Will. I work for Misfits Gaming Group. Um, and within our Web3 division, which is called Blockborn, um, we have an investment arm that looks at gaming projects, uh, specifically ones that are that are open to adding the Tezos blockchain. Um, and then on the Blockborn side, I, I'm head of product essentially for our gaming platform that allows games to quickly connect and leverage our Battle Pass tournaments instant you know, payout reward system uh, so they don't have to go and build that themselves. Um, we're also building out tools to allow you as a game developer to select what your goal is with content. So I'm looking for more lifetime value, more engagement, or whatever it is. And we will auto build you a esport and content plan um, that will run on its own without you having to, to go and delve into that. So we do a couple things, but on the investment side, yeah, excited to, to talk to you today, Tim.
2: Hi, everyone. I'm Tim Cotton. I'm uh, the founder of Scripted. Um, We are a company that's working on uh, virally shareable gaming rewards, right? And uh, I come out of a long background uh, in in game development, two decades or so, uh, all across the the sphere, all all sorts of games. Uh, Started out in virtual worlds, started out as a massively multiplayer online role game, uh, role playing game developer. (laughs)
3: Uh, hello everyone. Yeah, my name is Ilya. I'm uh, one of the co-founders and partners at Sancta Capital and uh, we invest some in back early stage teams in Web3 space with a primary focus on Metaverse and gaming.
0: Fantastic. So uh, just before we started uh, this show, we're discussing actually mostly Ilya and Will about the universal wallet problem. Uh, like everybody knows that there's no one wallet working, especially with non-EVM compatible chain and EVM compatible. So, so you know, this solution... I mean, there is no solution and it's a problem. So maybe, Will, can you come back to what you were saying?
1: I'm scared to now have this conversation again publicly because Ilya kind of mentioned the reason that the solution doesn't need to be made is because the concentration of players right now on EVM-compatible chains is just too high to justify building a <laughs> uh, a solution. That being said, I think it's still the, the concept of I want a wallet that handles every potential bridge, swap, any type of kind of uh, removes any friction on the user side is an interesting solution for me. So bridging between chains is one piece, but then also a wallet that moves across every project flawlessly is something I'm still looking for. And I'm wondering if it's out there.
2: Wow, the holy grail.
1: That's what you want.
2: You're Indiana Jones right now.
1: Yes, exactly. I mean, I, I just think that the wallet experience needs to be seamless and i'm curious what you guys are seeing out there with other projects and your project as well tim in terms of how does the user start playing and how does the user get onboarded in terms of holding assets moving assets like i think i think reducing friction has been something people have been working on for for the past year
2: i think you're going to like my pitch later and i'm not going to go into it right (laughs) now but yeah that's 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 like one of the raison d'etre's for what we're working on right Um, key, key idea, do we need wallets in the first place to still do decentralization? Okay, because like you're saying full cross chain walleting, that is a technological nightmare of maintenance. Imagine how many exploits have already happened with bridges with just like one line of bad NFT smart code. Now apply that across someone trying to do a wallet that works with everything. Mm, that that just that scares me. That puts a, that puts fear directly into my stomach.
1: <laughs> I'm curious what the the non wallet solution looks like. Um, hopefully, we don't have to wait all the way to the. <laughs>
0: you know, there are so many so many projects are saying right now, "Hey, we're building this universal wallet." I mean, I hear it all the time. So, is it a lie or is it just not exactly what it's selling it for? So, what is it?
3: I think it kinda depends on what you're trying to do though, right? I think if you look at, you know, games specifically, you know, we see a few trends, right? We see kind of a few platforms vying for kind of an aggregation play, um and they're going cross chain and they're trying to just aggregate all sorts of content, right? And so you would expect them to start playing around with some sort of a wallet solution because they don't want their users to leave from their platform right like once you've got them there you want them to stay there and then you want them to do all of that right um you have different approaches to aggregation whether it's content whether it's launchers whether it's you know reputation-based systems so you have that part of it and so you would expect that once you get enough users there uh you start kind of playing around with that approach but the other thing we see is uh, a trend towards custody wallets, right? And so this is how you know a lot of a lot of teams are trying to get around the issue of well, how do you onboard users that either don't know or don't care about Web three to start? Um, and so custody wallet solutions have become a little bit more popular. Now the question is, how do you then kind of enable and empower users to be owners if they want to be? And so that's a whole kind of educational and also an infrastructural uh, solution to kind of both combine. Kind of self custody and then custody if you want, Uh, but I I think we're 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 kind of veering towards that space. And so, once you kind of implement some sort of a custody approach, it's a lot easier to manage on a technical level. A lot of the kind of cross chain operations, Uh, but again, the kind of the question becomes then: How do you not? uh, take away control and ownership from the player, because that's why we got here to begin with. Uh, and so it's, it's, you know, we, we have kind of this, you know, what's commonly, you know, quoted as a kind of the pendulum where like the pendulum swings one way and then the other way. And we're kind of trying to figure out that like happy understanding of, of, of incorporating all, all, all sides, but, um, it's a process, but, It's not that we don't need or, you know, as a space or don't work on kind of this universal wallet approaches, but I think, you know, aggregation plays are awesome when you have kind of an accumulated segmented user bases right when you don't have accumulated segmented user bases that are trying to connect or you want to connect it's a little bit harder to to get that you get people excited about that right because you're aggregating a non-existent user base um, but now that we have more gamers in these siloed ecosystems we see you know, We'll talk a little bit about Tezos. We have people, you know, building in the movie ecosystem. We have people building the EVM ecosystem, Rust-based ecosystems. I think there, there there's going to be a little bit more demand for that as we see more titles launch there.
2: This is how Nico and I talk, too, because he's always like, oh, my God, Tim is itching to say something you can tell. Um, I have two thoughts for you. I have two <laughs> thoughts for you, yeah uh, The first one is, yes, this, is, this line of conversation about aggregation and custody wallets is how you get um, – Web three skeptics like Moxie Marlinspike, Molly White, and, so, and company to point out, hey, you're going back to Web 2.0, So what was the point, right? It's it's pretty much a, oh, so you're re-centralizing, and so there's deep questions there about the value of Web three when when that stuff starts having having to happen, and then number two, um, yeah, we're just putting we're just putting power away from ourselves. Um, the biggest the biggest like connection I see between what you were saying about this interoperability problem in wallets is that the same problem exists for like metaverse platforms in general, having one publisher want to translate and talk to another publisher in a combinatoric nightmare of different technologies is the same style of thing. We have to solve in web 3 first if we're going to make any contributions to the metaverse, right? And I don't think that custody wallets that's my spicy takes are the answer to that particular thing if again we want to have a piece at the table like a place at the table of the metaverse
1: but back to that point is is your take that the the only solution the wallet is kind of bringing is allowing projects to speak you know amongst themselves or publishers to work with other other publishers cuz that's a conversation i'm having with people all the time as well as they say was intero- if, if decentralization and the whole philosophical movement behind blockchain isn't hitting for gamers today, and they really don't care too much about data privacy, and they really don't care too much about immutability, and they really don't care too much about decentralization, then is this concept of your item gets to be used on multiple publishers projects? It, how are you seeing the wallet be beneficial? I guess this is just a broader question outside of just publisher A speaks to publisher B and their assets are inter- interoperable.
3: I think there's two things to what Will said. One is I think when we say players don't care, I think players may not care right now, partially because of how we're presenting this as an industry. I think there's a giant kind of communication issue. And then two is, well, we don't have quite enough games right now where you have the user base and the value of the assets and the value, not even so much of the assets, but of the IP where we would care. The teams that are seriously thinking about this um, and I, I won't name any names because I'm not sure I'm allowed to, but the teams that are thinking about it uh, and are like consciously approaching that issue, are uh, you know, it's going to take some time, but they're in development, right? And so it's really hard to get gamers to care when, well, we're not showing them kind of the real underlying kind of awesomeness and value about this, right? I think that the initial approach the industry was having, hey, you're going to take, you know, your lightsaber and go play Call of Duty with it, just angered a lot of people because it kind of misrepresented what it was supposed to be about and just kind of showed to a lot of traditional game developers that, you know, some people in our industry weren't quite aware (laughs) of how game development works. Uh, And so once we get to the point where well you can actually unlock the utility of being able to go cross IP and cross ecosystem I think you will get players to take to care about this I think when privacy becomes again privacy is another thing right where like how we communicate this and the value of it becomes a little bit kind of muted uh, in a way and so the the narratives get shifted from kind of utility to a lot of other things and I think that's part of the issue. I think people will start to care once you actually show them a product that kind of unlocks that utility. Because I think we kind of, as an industry, sometimes go the other way around. It's like, well, care about this and then,
1: yeah. <laughs> and then things well, will work. Uh, and I think users want to use yeah, stuff. 2021 in general felt yep. like that. It was just like, these are things you should care about. And then they're like, where's the use case? And you're like, that comes later. <laughs>
2: just buy it now. <laughs> Don't worry yeah. about this. Don't Let worry about it. it. Let me just say, as a game developer, right? and uh, and I've, I've been in this gig for a long time gamers want to play a game they just want to play a game like when you put someone like look at the super bowl right super bowl ad comes up hey we've got this cool nft Let's do our qr code one okay they ran out so they sent me to a twitter profile i i ran at that screen, uh, tv screen by the way i got there really fast and i still got a twitter profile but when i went to their website what is their website onboarding experience it's a dark screen that says Web wallet not detected. And there's some buttons in the background you can't touch.
0: By the way, jumping on yeah. that, Limit Break, I, I don't know, they're, I think they're developing a couple of games mm-hmm. because I keep seeing their ads on my phone yeah. of this uh, game like Queen's Blade or something like that and it's kind of a manga style very uh, uh, like uh, sexy women uh, and, and then you click on the ad, it's on mobile, and then you go to a, a mobile uh, browser game. I didn't, I, I, it's kind of the first time I, I see this and it's like uh, uh, you have, like, limit break, so it's, like, you, you see it's one of their projects, big, written, and then you go, and then you can start this game. You don't download anything. You don't go to the app store. You just play there, but it's very buggy, and you, you leave, I mean, it's the, the experience was super bad. I mean, I pushed myself to try because I was like, intrigued, but did did you hear about that as well? Or
2: So I've heard about it, and I, I will admit, that is the right approach. You should throw people into a game and onboard them your feedback about it not being a great gaming experience aside right look my kids my, my boys they love pokemon they love pokemon right and they have the little cards they collect them and i have a 10 year old who literally like loves playing this game with his cards with his friends he puts them in sleeves and finally after all these years of having pokemon cards you know what he did yesterday he had me sit down at the table with him with an app and figure out the market prices for all his cards. Because at finally, as a 10 year old, he wanted to figure out how much his collection was worth, right? But he had years of gameplay experience before that. So it's investing people first in the experience before you unlock, as both Will and Ilya have talked about, into the kind of tradable uh, NFT version one kind of stuff.
1: Just to add on, it was the same issue that Overwatch had with eSports. eSports generally, I I work more on the eSports side, but you're not allowed to come out with a game and say, and this is an eSport. It's normally on the community to decide how they want to compete within your game. So the fact they came out with a league already baked in and massive sponsors, it put a bad taste in people's mouth. And I agree, like, it's more about, like, build an addicting and incredible IP and, and, and product, and then start to layer on the benefits that make sense for a user base. But this concept of just like preloading some external value system that they're not used to is is wild to me. Um, also, kind of scary because it really means to that point, and like games take years and years to become a hit and build a community. This is a long race we're all in. You know, like this, everyone was talking, oh, 2024, 2025 is when the bull run kicks off again. Like, I think this is a longer tail on this thing.
2: It's a good time to start then.
1: I
3: think Will just sent everybody in, like a lot of marketing departments, panicking uh, for games because he said you can't say you're going to be an esports title. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of people just went <laughs> scrambling to their
0: <laughs> copies. Well, well, I mean, like it's,
3: it
1: gamers are naturally skeptics and we're all internet children so it's like coming out and being told what it is and why it's good outside of just like put a good game in front of me i'll tell you how i feel about it if i if i if it hits and it responds with me then feel free to layer on other systems but like
2: start with the game
0: you cannot say you're an esport game but can you label yourself as a triple a game that's probably a tip <laughs> question, I don't know. <laughs> That's the one we've seen quite a while, yeah. right? All right, I'm, I'm taking back control of the discussion right now. Um, but we, very interesting points we're discussing. Actually, I want to share something. So, uh, a, a news, I don't know if, you, if you've seen it. It's been spotted by our friends at Polymos. I saw that on their blog. And it's about a Star, Star Atlas uh, spaceship uh, worth 5 million dollars. So, worse five million. It's, it was for sale at five million dollars, and it sold for five dollars because of a bug. And uh, what happens basically is that the there was a bug in the script. Um, so someone uh, took advantage of it and bought it for five dollars. And then uh, the the team uh, they wiped out all the metadata of the of the NFT and basically like made it useless. So then some people are complaining and and uh and discussing the topic you know is it something we should do you know take back control at the end of the day you know the game developers if such mistakes happen uh so yeah what's what's your take on that
1: the downside of decentralization
3: i think it's the reverse right it's the downside of centralization right like this is this is kind of like going back to the mount gox Mm. kind of issue right like one I, I will I will go back, right? Like, I think the one big thing that we're seeing right now, and we're thinking about, you know, internally as well, a little bit about, you know, there is a ridiculous kind of under lack of attention, I would say, to auditing on the gaming side. I think DeFi got burned so hard that, like, that's just kind of a, the number one thing that like, you, 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 like, you expect there, right? <laughs> right? Like, you expect... You know, audits, and you want to see multiple audits sometimes, you want to see regular audits, you want to understand how security systems work. With gaming, not only, like, I think a lot of traditional game developers are kind of, they understand how they build their security for kind of their own universe, where in a Web2 world, they control so much more. And then when they go into Web3, the surface level of attack for attacks increases so much, but I don't think that everybody's thinking about it, and we're definitely not talking about it enough. I think that you know what happened with kind of Axie Infinity and uh, kind of the Ronin Bridge hack should have been kind of a big wake-up call. Uh, it still hasn't, um, and we, we, I think we're lucky in the sense that we haven't had so many games accumulate a lot of value in their ecosystems yet, where they would become targets for attacks but i think that you know (laughs) security wise we we have we have a lot to work on but i think one of the reasons that we kind of believe in the web3 kind of vision for metaverse and gaming is that a publisher should not be able to unilaterally come in and alter your assets right like that's that's the whole point of this thing, right? If they're able to do that, then why aren't we building everything on a centralized server? It's gonna, we can make it so much, so much more easy, <laughs> easier.
2: Um, so that, that that's just my take. I I understand the point, but uh, I, I guess I'm a little bit on the other side of it. I'm gonna jump in just because, um, just my experience in the industry, right? Um, we've gotten a lot lazier uh, as far as security goes as game developers um, as a class because in the old days we had gold master discs. You know, we worked crazy, like 80 hour work weeks until like the late November to get something on a disc for Christmas and everything had to be right. Everything had to be perfect. Then online came, streaming came, and suddenly we had a whole new world where we could fix things as we went. Online services became a thing. live ops became a thing. And we got spoiled, right? Completely spoiled by the ability to fix things in a centralized manner. Now... The early virtual world games like RuneScape and Ultima Online, they learned valuable lessons from the MUD community about not not doing that a lot because it ruins your game economy, right? That didn't translate very well forward to the current Metaverse stuff that people are working on today. There are lessons there. Um, Rich Vogel is giving a talk at GDC about this. Please go to that talk. Um, but if you look at people like Tim Sweeney at Epic, he's literally designing a programming language for the Metaverse based on, like, functional logic programming to solve those problems not in smart contract ways but in fundamental data ways where you can't lie or mess up the intentions of your code because of the, the language structures that he's building unfortunately it's really hard to understand i'm not going to lie to you functional programming is hard <laughs> but but to that point like
1: the, the benefit of, of having online releases and live ops and everything and allowing yourself to iterate as a game wasn't a huge benefit that you can't foresee all the problems you're going to face as a game developer within your your, your project. To your point, Ilya, and the reason I'd be scared as hell is like what you just explained was a system where you have to go and audit and preempt all the, the surface level, you know, and, and cover all the surface level you're talking about before you go live. Because how are you supposed to then go back in a decentralized way and edit those smart contracts and make sure that, you know, this doesn't happen again? How are you supposed to foresee all that if live ops is the standard and, and iterative design is, is, is kind of the, the expectation from game developers?
3: I would say that again. We can take a little bit in terms of lessons from from DeFi, and we have gone to the point where there's ways to upgrade your smart contracts. I mean, we're, we're we've moved pretty far along as an industry, and so we have in DeFi various different ways of monitoring, of updating, of kind of siloing risk. Um, and I think if we trust. Or at least as an industry, we're trying to get to a point where we trust our financial infrastructure to be upgradable and auditable and monetary wise. Then I think we should be able to get to kind of a similar comfort level with uh, kind of our our, our gaming spaces. And I think to begin with, I think it will happen more in kind of more isolated gaming ecosystems before we see kind of it expand to the broader metaverse. But I think I'm not saying it's going to be easy. But I think to kind of give up on that kind of defeats the purpose of why we we're building this in the first place.
0: Last thing I wanted to discuss. So it's about the Fortnite's uh, Epic. It was uh, like accordingly uh, 20 crypto games in store in Pipeline. So that's a lot. I know they're not the, the only ones. You know, uh, for instance, I had some talks with guys from at Voodoo. I know they also have uh, mobile, so it's mobile Voodoo. But they have like many games in store that they have not released yet. I know so Ubisoft has been trying. So many many big players are actually having games in the pipeline, ready to go, but not really, not really there. What is your what is your thinking on that?
2: I'm concerned that there'll be low quality games at first. That's not. I'm not making a like uh, an accusation or anything. I just know that right now as free to play and web three have like had this intersection, I've literally been offered by different companies, hey, we'll sell you a package of one hundred games for seventy thousand dollars. These are hyper casual games in Unity, go turn them into a web three game. That I don't want that stuff to fill up the epic store. I want to see really cool stuff. So I don't know anything about the twenty games. I'm just saying I hope, my hopium is that there's real effort here and not just taking someone's hyper-casual thing that took, you know, a, a team a week to build and turning that into a Web3 game.
1: I have faith in Riot to deliver high-quality project and, on the game side, so I'm, I'm also hoping if it is a hyper-casual game, it's of, of substance. Um, but yeah, same concern on my end, and, and I've seen the exact same thing you're talking about, Tim, just people with, sitting on tons of IP that are like, go turn this shitty mobile app from 2007 into a Web3 banger, and it's like, this is just not going to happen. Um, But glad to see Riot in the space and considering it. And yeah, I mean, excited to see what they can do. They're the type of studio, and Gala is similar in terms of having enough IP within their ecosystem where interoperability to me would would be super exciting. Like the jump between TFT and League and, you know, the whole thing and within, you know, with the same assets is is exciting to me. So, stoked overall.
3: I'm not as concerned about um, Epic bringing on kind of weak titles i am concerned about kind of what strong titles and web 3 mean right Mm now Uh, i think most of the titles we're super excited about are in alpha a lot of them in closed alpha um and so i'm not sure i mean we're i I think we're seeing a trend towards kind of a a changing development cycle for games there's a lot more duration the cycles it's all are getting a little bit shorter but i don't think the gamer is necessarily ready for that right and so if we're putting out alphas or betas on Epic, I'm not sure kind of we've prepared the audience for what that is. And I don't think again, we as an industry have kind of really worked on that education and communication uh, with with the gamers to get them excited about that because I think the idea is fantastic. Get gamers to try early, have them give you feedback, incorporate that feedback, have them be part of that development process. I think it's a fantastic idea. But it needs to be presented right right because right now if you read this as a gamer, you're like, okay There's gonna be 20 games on epic. These must be the 20 best games web 3 has and If we're putting out alphas or betas there That's that's kind of the response that you know, they'll be like, okay. This is the best web 3 has Um, moving on (laughs) potentially right like um so that that that's my worry I, I, I think Epic has the ability to select kind of the best there is it's just it needs to be presented in the right way both from kind of them and, and the Web3 space and kind of bridge
1: that communication gap that we're continuously kind of like falling into and, and just a little point on that I do hope and I'm curious your guys take as well that we can eventually move away from labeling a game Web3 opposed to just it being a game and, and having you know interesting component love that.
2: that i love that fully totally agree fully totally yeah. agree on that
3: uh and i think that's coming but not until we kind of as an again as an industry get to the point where whatever web3 is is part of the tech stack right we don't label games as unity games typically or unreal games right like a lot of that stuff is you know so many some people know there yeah. but it's it's more or less hidden but uh web3 is right now still at the forefront because even in survey, like I've seen a survey where blockchain is labeled as like a, a, a like a like a business plan type of setup, right? And so, like if that's if that's not tech, right? If we're if we're labeling as business uh, setup, then like that that's
0: part of the part of the issue. There's so many terminology problems in our industry, and we we I mean we adopted them and then we got away from them all the time. Play to earn, play and own, uh, free to earn, uh, and uh, like metaverse. Uh, crypto gaming blockchain gaming web street gaming it's uh it's we're just going so so fast towards all these things and just like take them use them charge them it's so you know uh it's uh, where, where, when will it stop <laughs> basically
3: The temptation to engagement farm on Twitter with hashtags Mm -hmm. is just too great for Well,
1: and and to be honest, there's a lot of projects that that need it. You know what I mean? Like, there are games out there that know they don't have the marketing power to stand up to traditional games trying to win on Steam. So they're going heavy after the the existing crypto audience, right? So they are, like, slapping the Web3 branding all over themselves. But it's like, could you imagine going to the Epic Store and seeing tabs for, like, Azure-hosted games? Uh, You know what I mean? Like, AWS-hosted. Like, it's the weirdest thing to me, (laughs) so...
0: I don't know. All right. All right, guys. We Now is the time. Now is the time for, for the pitch of, of Tim. Uh, so it's going to be like everyone else. It's not going to be uh, more favorable to you. You can have three minutes for the pitch.
2: All right. Hey, I'm Tim Cotton, formerly designer of Ultima Online. Uh, one of them, and the first, mu- uh, which was the first massively multiplayer online role-playing game, right? And I've been in the industry for about two decades. We've talked about this. I've done games, MMOs. I've done enterprise software at companies like EA, Mythic Entertainment. I got in really early on Bitcoin and Ethereum. And so unlike many of my game de- developer peers, I do have a deep respect for Web3 and its potential. Right? So my expertise is in game design, blockchain, and engineering. And my co-founder here, Andy. Andy is... He's worked together with me at Electronic Arts back in the 2000s, right? So he was a producer. He went on to publish 60 games with companies like Aria and Square Enix. He recently released the new Tomb Raider mobile game. He just put in his notice, and he just joined Scripted Officially earlier this week as our chief operating officer. He is the master of production and operations. Our primary pre-seed investor is Dr. Jay Lim. He's led many successful early investments in cutting-edge technology companies, especially AI-driven. And so what I want you to do is take away from this pitch three things, right? One, that we're building something with impact, something that's going to do what Crypto Kitties did to version one NFTs, right? We're doing that for version two. Two, we've got new tech like NFT mining and something we call proof of play. And three, we're the right team at the right time to get this started. So here's the problem for Web3 gamers, and we just we've been talking about it. When a gamer and not just a crypto bro investor, wants to play a new Web3 game, they hit a wall. They hit several walls. Gaming NFTs are expensive, and for a non-Web3 native, they're really hard to onboard. You know, you got to download stuff, you've got wallets, you got got signups. Even for Layer 2s, it's hard. And even when you get all of that stuff done, as a gamer, what, you're getting a JPEG or a GIF that you can only quote-unquote play with a couple thousand or so other people? It begs the question, do you really just want to be a cog in someone else's pumping machine to make a rando utility token worth a fortune while you're left holding a jpeg right so i don't believe that's the future of gaming i hope that our good friends here at the tavern don't believe that either so scripted has a new way to move past this whole version one nft thinking we've invented some new powerful decentralized tech sure but naked technology isn't enough crypto kitties did show us how to move the needle right how to gain adoption and like prove out new ideas and paradigms so we're taking the torch and we're introducing niftys now these are nfts that give you more nfts to share with friends as you play it's everything that 2017 promised nfts could and should be with zero friction onboarding it's free to play it's virally shareable and it's gamified experiences the nfts are the game and so with all the tradability, all the on-chain gaming possibilities of version 1 NFTs 2. It's just the next level. So, again, these are just cute, collectible virtual pets. They have AI-driven behaviors. It's a 3D Pixar-style mobile and web browser experience. It's a pet-taming life simulator game. And we're going to layer in puzzle games, decorations, cosmetic upgrades, all the things that you would expect from our, you know, decades of experience building games. We're not going to build games for the NFT, we're going to build games into the NFT. So, the key thing I wanted to take away from here, we're not a layer 2, right? These are free to play and they're still decentralized NFT tech. They're free to collect because we kind of invented this NFT mining system. You can even gift these things to your friends and onboard them with a single click. You know how you talked about that earlier. You can just send a link and now your friends are playing the game, too, with their own nifties. You got to collect them all. Right. So we're patenting one click minting the same way that Amazon patented one click shopping and checkout. Right. So. Um, we have a world-class advisory team. We have people from all over the industry. Um, we have a residency at the Virginia Serious Game Institute hosted by George Mason University, Prince William County, which means I have access to game design professors, developers, and many students and interns ready to help us hustle and build up this stuff beyond what I can just pay from the money, right? But what we're asking for, and this is, this is the, this is the uh, simple... Simple hypothesis: We believe that when you make an interactive gamified NFT and you lower the friction of minting and playing with them, that they create powerful sharing and referral loops. That's what we want to do with a seed raise of 3.5 million over 24 months. That's what we want to prove with your money. And we're we're making nifties. I'm Tim. Thank you for your time.
0: Thank you, thank you. So great, Uh, great pitch. I can see you've trained that well in the FOGDAO community. (laughs) You know, they have this they have these calls where uh, basically uh, Nico is, and others are, are reviewing decks and, and helping. So you, you, you've been there. Mm-hmm. Um, so great pitch. Maybe, you, uh, Will, you can start with your questions.
1: Sure. Yeah, I love the, the flow. Normally we get this like pitch of a vision of what the game's going to be, and then you move into the kind of who are you. So right. I like the you starting off with your, your credibility and everything. Um, I guess my question, I mean, obviously it's it's well put together. The the, the project looks solid. The ideas are, are sound. Have you raised to date? Have you started? Where are you guys at currently before
2: this race? Right. So with our pre-seed, we've raised uh, a little over $200,000 over the last year. We've been just working on the underlying technology, prototyping. You could say that we're definitely past ideas stage we're in the prototyping pre-production phase but you know we need to build an mvp we need to build out the first collectibles and we need to build the first games into those collectibles and we're very excited about taking this to in the future of course a series a because as you can imagine let's build this up into something that's its own phenomena right let's make it something that's not just an animated gif let's make these things you you touch them with your mouse or your finger on the thing they purr You know the the phone vibrates and you can feel the fur right we want to get there so that people soccer moms, share these things right before they even know that they're worth something in web3 you know how we talked about that that you know you want to bring web3 in later our tech and this is what's really crazy it allows us to create these nfts completely off chain in a provable way that you can on chain later and you can still keep all of your leveling in progress and prove it to the other players. It's math and crypto, and it's really neat. Um, and it's a really boring long sure. paper that people in out have read.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, you mentioned that you and your co-founder, Andy, have ex- you know tons of experience mm-hmm. in the kind of traditional game development right. world. What are you going to take from your experience in that time of releasing a game, using publishers, yeah. marketing a product, getting users? Yeah. And what are you trying to throw away and, and do anew? Like when you look at this project and how you're going to release it and, yeah. and bring on users and do the whole thing, right. are, there, are there some things you want to take from that time and, and then things you want to implement kind of differently?
2: Absolutely. Let me go through. I think I, I think I can try to go through a couple of them right now, just off the cuff thinking about it. Number one. I have a very different perspective and anyone who's talked with me like Nico, Varik and other people uh, and like Fogdow, they know that I'm a downer. I'm a Debbie downer about fixed size NFT collections. I don't believe in them, right? Because I learned, Andy learned, we, we all learned in MMOs that when you have a fixed economy, your players massively hoard everything, the values of everything rise really fast and then everything crashes, everyone cashes out and then it's worthless and no one plays, right? Um, from the earliest day of MUDs, we've learned that right nft collections right now act like glorified country clubs now bored apes fine be the most expensive country club in the world that's fine with me right everyone else trying to do that that's not i'm not cool with that i think that's that's a, not a starter for gamers right so i'm i'm ditching the idea of having a closed fixed collection instead our stuff is types of nfts and the players can mine them themselves using the game design and development lessons we learned over those decades right so even take a game like ultima online which had a virtual economy internally we had a system called templates right where it looked like dungeons and dragons how great that i'm on the tavern right because <laughs> okay. the, the parallel is significant so in the way that you would roll a character right that's what you're doing for nifties you're literally rolling the initial attributes and most of the time you're going to have like a below average average role right for your characters but we let the players iterate over the possibility space and if they want to spend five minutes 30 minutes a day whatever with their computer finding the perfect seed value to start their nifty adventure well they can do that and they can have like a couple plus ones on some of the stats right so that's number Mm -hmm. one we're just doing things differently and number two Yes, Um, as far as marketing, as far as like the way we transition players, it's exactly what we were talking about before I even did the pitch, right? It is the idea that we take the best lessons from free to play without being scummy, right? Without just doing pay to win everywhere, right? That's a terrible way to do things. Not purely cosmetic, right? Not purely that, but not pay to win everywhere. We take the best parts and that's how our experience begins. Another part... And this is something that we've learned as we've been developing the prototype. People really do love the one click. Like if you don't have to side load um, a 3D engine on the side or have a plugin for it, if you can literally just click a button and it renders right there because it's a native WebAssembly or HTML5 app, it's gold, mm-hmm. right? It just works. So we're taking those three areas. That's what we're really focused on right now.
1: Okay. And then just to, to treat your game like a game and not a Web3 game, mm-hmm. when you when you put your, your your game next to others on the market, what are you seeing as, as kind of competitors and outside of the ability to own the asset and everything, sure. just on pure gameplay and experience, how do you see the pitch being like, you're playing this, we're better in every way? Right.
2: So, yep, yeah, we're pretty much better in every way. I'm not going to lie about that. <laughs> I'm very confident, right? And I'm, I'm, Sometimes I get a little arrogant. But... Uh, let's be realistic. If you look at uh, the promise of various NFT virtual pet games right now, of which there are a few, right? Uh, Cryptomon. Um, these are fixed collections. They just raise the price. People are just trying to trade popularity. It's popularity contest. It's not gaming. There's, there's not, you can build a game layer on top of that all you want, but your audience size is limited to tens of thousands of people. That's, that's not moving the needle anywhere. And my concern mm-hmm. is that if we keep doing this as investors, as in VCs, as, as game developers, if we keep feeding each other this weird cycle of 100,000 wallets of these game players, it's just musical chairs and someone's going to be left holding a bag at the end, right? We do not want this. We, we don't want a 2008-style crash, right? We're okay with lulls. We want to expand mm-hmm. the market. And we want to bring in normal gamers. So yeah, we are providing a gaming experience where it's low effort, right? Uh, Think Cookie Clicker and think Idle Heroes, but with the style of like Pixar and Roblox, right? And really, we envision that these are a community moddable commodity, right? And when I say moddable, I mean players will be able to own a Nifty And assuming that they obey the uh, commercial use, no hate license, Andres and Howowitz put together, right? That's a wonderful NFT license. Assuming they're doing that, if they want to build a separate gaming experience, they can because our game rule set will be public. It'll be on a smart contract. It will be verifiable. And then what's really fun is that we can do partnerships. We would love to go to the Sandbox and Roblox and be like, hey, by the way, we want to have our virtual pets in your game, too and they just work right they there's that there, we don't have any conflicts with that so eventually in the series a this is where the fun play is right by the time that we've built this up to be popular we would love to test not just players sharing the rewards with their friends right which are other nifties so that they can share that we want to test going to strategic partners and saying hey you have a game we're going to make you a specific nifties for that game that represents that game and that you can only earn by playing that game and then when players have it and they want their friends to do it you get the referrals back to your game and of course we have that mutually beneficial relationship right and suddenly we're creating alternatives to the terrible ecosystem of uh advertising death that is right now now that apple has kind of like put the kibosh on a lot of uh remarketing tags right we have the ability suddenly to say hey this player has these three nifties and they represent interest in these three types of games that's in their that's in their wallet or in our case you know we start out without a wallet because we have a cool system for that underneath the hood suddenly we have segmentation that other partners will be interested in so there's there's all sorts of stuff to talk about i don't want to go too crazy on you right no no worries um i I know i ate up a a lot of time so i'll I'll
1: pass to Ilya, but thank you for the answers
3: yeah, I'll, I'll echo Will. Uh, great, great pitch. Um, I, am, I do want to follow up on what Will asked though. How, can you describe the actual sure. game loop?
2: Uh, the game loop is incredibly simple, right? So you start out with an egg. I'm sure that's not very revolutionary, right? You, you touch it. You, you tap it. It hatches, right? Suddenly you have your first nifty, right? And so the game loop for this is a lot like an Idle Heroes-style game. Um, it is in the background. This thing is leveling up it is, um, as you pay attention to it, that is its leveling mechanism. In the background, we have some cool math and crypto that actually kind of records the progress as it goes. But for the player, this is the important part. You can you, can literally, you literally, with your, your fingers or your hands or buttons, right? you can do various interactions with it. You can treat it like a tameable pet. It is not a game that you have to keep the thing alive, right? This is not a Tamagotchi style. If you're gone for a couple of days, the thing dies, right? That, that, that is not this game. This game is for you want to spend 15-minute brain breaks on it during the day. And, you know, you're you're on a train somewhere and you went, oh, look at my cool little nifty. And look, he just leveled up. And now, oh, maybe if I go and mine some of these gems, I can evolve him to the next form and then do some PvE battles. And so we're going to, over time, start layering in all the good stuff, right? The funniest observation we had during customer discovery, because we went through a customer discovery loop um, with a funded grant, was finding out that soccer parents the way they play these casual free-to-play games they really love the home decor mini games and if there's anything that made the virtual world games really popular and uh deep interest in keeping people around. It was home ownership and decoration, right? So imagine that your Nifty is in its own scene. And of course, we'll have other scenes that are treated as NFTs too that you can upgrade to, right? So you can move the thing around. You can even have like Hogwarts uh, pictures on the wall. They can move around and visit each other. These Nifty's have their own little lives and you can support them by customizations. And then when you're done, when, when you're playing things and you've beaten these battles, right? And I, I'm sorry for getting very extended on this. Well, you earn other nifty eggs, and if you already have them, fine. Share them with friends. One click, suddenly they're playing two, repeating the loop, and suddenly it's a two times, four times, eight times, 16, right? That's what we want.
3: Okay, and so if I set mm-hmm. up a bot farm, how okay. does this define? this is
2: a great question. I um, and I don't want to make you read a really, really boring paper, so I'm gonna try to simplify this as much as I can, Eli Five style, right? I like okay, those good. Those I'll send you. One. I've got one. I believe <laughs> me. Believe me. It'll, like, me it'll put you to sleep. It's great. It's, it's literal, literally a uh, like the old school white paper kind of thing called provably fair procedural generation and how we do this stuff. But the idea, the idea is, um, the second, the kind of the power gems, the things that help you upgrade in the background, right? They expire if you don't use them. So they're an NFT that is non-skew morphic. These are an NFT that actually has a case of forced utility. You lose it. You, I mean, you use it or you lose it, right? And so we're we're simulating the economy in a way so we can find the X point at which mining pools are don't have an ROI. I don't have the perfect answer for that yet, but we are. That technology will enable us to find that X point, point. and then mining really isn't like you trying to create a bunch of bots doesn't isn't really effective at um at like manipulating the economy right because again in the very beginning phase of the economy this is all player sovereign they own it all client side i have no central database for this game that's the that's the crazy thing about this tech it is actually decentralized
3: So mm-hmm. what I'm curious about though is right if the the value comes so you have the gems and you have mm-hmm. the actual pets yeah. right i'm going to call them pets yeah, that's the, fine. pets in this case um so the if i create mm-hmm. a lot of these pets right like part part of how you create them mm-hmm. as far as i understand is you know you generate these eggs and i can share mm-hmm. share eggs or share links right, sure. with my friends right and so if Basically, if I create kind of a, a large volume of these pets uh, and a large volume of these gems, how do then you, how okay. do you control well, the market? that's a good question.
2: Um, in fact, it's one of the most uh, – I'll just say, Ilya, that it's one of the most important things that we we're trying to abstract away, right? Because I want you to think about this as an abstraction of data, which the players are owning, and gameplay and reputation, which are either – with partnerships that are like hosting games or they're like an on-chain version of the game, right? So uh, I'll speak to the hardest loop first. The hardest one is you go the full path. You start out with an off-chain NFT. You level it up. You take it to level 55. You've played it for like 100 hours or something, right? And you're feeling pretty confident that you could take someone in a tournament. So you decide to onboard it onto Ethereum and play in one of the like tournaments that we'll create, right? Okay, at that point, user cost of having to onboard to Ethereum, we understand that there's going to be fees associated with that. That's, that, that's a ticket price for players who want to play at that level, right? That's a self-selecting economy. And I, I'm not claiming that that solves itself, but mining a ton of NFTs doesn't help you if you have to pay for all of them on-chain to play the most like, like awesome tournaments, right? Second, Layer 2, kind of the same thing, but Layer 2s, of course, have the option to um, gatekeep, right so get, that, that kind of handles it for themselves and then three finally at the local level where you're playing for yourself well okay if you have a thousand um uh, squirtles in pokemon what does that do for you right it doesn't really accomplish much if you go out and buy ten cent one thousand squirtles with pokemon cards either so why why waste your money instead it's about collecting the different types and trying to find spend the mining that that mining that bot time you're talking about trying to find the best starting values and the best gems to level yourself up, but that s- creates a serial linear experience instead of a massively parallel experience.
0: Uh, very interesting. I'll ask uh, Will and Ilia to say if they are interesting in in following up. You know. To- Uh, to know more about this deal, basically. None of this is financial nor legal advice. Everybody doing their own research and due diligence, but if they want to know more, uh, or if uh, they're not interested at this stage for this valuation or any other reasons, Will.
1: Interested. And I think, speaking of strategic partners, we're potentially one of the most interesting people you can talk to, as we have four of the five largest Minecraft and two of the five largest Roblox creators signed to our org. Um, and an internal studio that's building out games for both of those titles. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's definitely collaboration there. And I know when you talk about, you know, having your your project kind of morph over to those universes, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, The one kind of caveat question I I have is is with that research grant, and just a quick one, with that research grant, did they talk a little bit about how... um, these people who are non-crypto choose one game over another? Because in my opinion, you can have all the amazing game systems and technology yep. under the hood, but it feels like you win on art style, you win on extending yep. the IP in creative ways in yep. a couple other areas. And, and we'll delve into it later, because uh, I, I don't want to take up you know too much time, but um, maybe after the show yep. we can chat. Yep. And uh, definitely interested and, and happy to see what we can do.
3: Awesome.
2: And the short answer is yes, and we can talk about it.
3: I'll think I'll echo Will. I think it, it would be interesting to learn more. There's a lot there that we didn't get to, um, particularly as to implementation and what actually happens under the hood. Uh, so that would be quite interesting to learn. Um, I, yeah, I, I have a lot of questions and I'm, I'm interested to ask them. So uh, I think that would be
2: an interesting conversation awesome. to have. Well, I look forward to oh. talking with all of you. And hey, we'll be at GDC too, just hanging out and talking with everyone. So, you know, let's let's hang out. All right, GDC. Well, let's do I'm it,
0: now. <laughs> Everybody's going Absolutely. to GDC except me. It's too oh, far. Oh, not so you. Away. <laughs> I, I don't want to go. But yeah, no, a good lesson. You know, if we if we cut it early, they don't have the time to ask all the questions, So then they need to follow up. <laughs> you know, they don't have a choice. Love it. So, <laughs> Love it. <laughs> That's even wanting more. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. It was it was really a pleasure. fun episode. Uh, uh, re- I hope you enjoyed it here, and I hope the audience will as yeah. well. Uh, we'll see each other for next one uh, in couple uh, in two weeks normally, and uh, yeah, have a good one, everyone. All right, Jeremy, Bye. thank you.